be there. (laughs) Would you join me in prayer? Holy Spirit, your people call out for understanding. Bring to our yearning hearts and minds the truth of your word. Amen. So Jesus and his disciples get in a boat and cross the Sea of Galilee. This is a a very symbolic act because the Israelites are not fond of water. They're not good sailors. And bodies of water represent boundaries. Could be boundaries between good and evil, boundaries between chaos and order. In this case, it's the boundary between the Jews on one side and the Gentiles on the other. And by crossing the sea, Jesus is both crossing this boundary but he's also demonstrating his dominion over all creation, including the waters of chaos. But crossing to the other side of the lake brings a new risk for Jesus. Like I said, he's entering Gentile territory. And he risks Jewish censure for associating with Gentiles. Just doing that makes him unclean. And he is also going to a place where there is no expectation of a Messiah or the good news that he is bringing about the kingdom of God. And upon landing, he immediately meets a man who is not in his right mind. And the encounter is both heartening and disturbing. As we listen to this story and explore its power and meaning for us, keep in mind who may or may not be in his right mind. Uh, This is Mark 5, 1 through 5. They came to the other side of the lake, to the country of the Gerasenes. Gerasenes. And when he had stepped out of the boat, immediately a man out of the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. He lived among the tombs, and no one could restrain him anymore, even with a chain. For he had often been restrained with shackles and chains, but the chains he wrenched apart, and the shackles he broke in pieces, and no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always howling and bruising himself with stones. So here we have met a man who is clearly not in his right mind. He's possessed by an unclean spirit who has literally robbed him of his very humanity. Let's take a minute to appreciate how much this man is suffering. First, he lives in the cemetery among the tombs. The living have given up on him and consigned him to the dead. Perhaps anticipating the day when they will shut his body up in one of those tombs. Because it is clear that his mind is already gone. Second, he is a danger to himself and others. It's so much so that people have tried to restrain him by binding him to the tombs. He's been bound with shackles and chains, but he's broken all of those bonds. He was strong, so strong that no one could subdue him. And third, he was like a wild animal. Night and day he howled. The unclean spirits had literally robbed him of his voice, reducing him to the most primitive sounds. And he bruised himself with stones. It makes you wonder if a small part of the person he had been was desperately and futilely trying to beat the unclean spirits out of him. As one writer said, 
He has lost his humanity and is completely and utterly alienated from God. He has lost the image of God in which he was created. When I was serving at the church in Houston, one Monday I returned from vacation and heard that I had missed quite a dramatic Sunday. As the service was ending and the congregation was singing the closing hymn, the doors opened and a strange woman, unknown to anyone in the congregation, entered. And it was apparent pretty quickly that she was homeless. She was unkempt and her clothing was tattered and dirty. She marched up the center aisle and stopped right in front of the minister who was standing on the steps and proceeded to start taking all her clothes off. Then she laid down on the carpet and began making unintelligible noises. Like this man, she was not in her right mind. But somewhere deep inside herself, she hoped that maybe, maybe Jesus would be in this church and might be able to help her. Mark 5, 6 through 13. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and bowed down before him, and he shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he had said to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. He begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there on the hillside, a great herd of swine was feeding, and the unclean spirits begged him, send us into the swine, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the swine, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned in the lake. So here comes Jesus. You know, I love finding things in stories that I have read over and over again, things that all of a sudden I went, how did I miss this, right? You know, the spirit in the, man, the unclean spirit who's possessed this man does most of the talking in this story. And for a long time, I thought that spirit initiated the conversation with Jesus. But notice what Mark tells us in verse 8. For he, Jesus, had said to him, Jesus spoke to the man first. It's kind of like the father who sees the prodigal son coming from a distance and runs out to embrace him. Well, Jesus from a distance had seen this poor man in bondage and had spoken to release him, commanding the unclean spirit to leave, which spirits beg him not to do. And then he asked for their name, and the answer is legion. Now, this is a military term, as you may know, and some of the resources I looked at dwelt on that. But I think that the more important thing Mark is trying to tell us is how many spirits were tormenting this man. The number for how many soldiers were in a legion varied, but one source said that for Palestine, a legion had about 2,000 soldiers in it. And how many pigs does Mark tell us there were? 2,000. In other words, one pig for every spirit and a, pig for each, a spirit for each pig. Now, if the spirits thought that entering the pigs would somehow save them, they're wrong. The swine immediately stampede down the hill into the water and drown. And perhaps of more concern to some, 
2,000 pigs are dead. I don't know how much value each pig represented, but I imagine it's a significant loss to someone. Mark 5, 14 through 20. The swine herds ran off and told it in the city and in the country. Then people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the demoniac sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, the very man who had had, who had, had the legion, and they were afraid. Those who had seen what had happened to the demoniac and to the swine reported it. Then they began to beg Jesus to leave their neighborhood. As he was getting out of the boat, the man who had been possessed by demons begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus refused and said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and what mercy he has shown you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. Well, just like there are shepherds who look after sheep, there are swine herds who look after pigs. And these swine herds watch the amazing spectacle of Jesus casting out the unclean spirits and, what, and report what they had seen in city and country. And people decide to come and check it out for themselves. Now, let me ask you, if you knew the circumstances that this man was in, heard the swine herd story, and then came and saw with your own eyes that this man was sitting in clothes and calm, in his right mind, at Jesus' feet, what would your response have been? In the past, when Jesus has done these healings, people have been amazed and they've praised God. But not this group, not these people. Mark tells us they are afraid. And they even ask Jesus to leave. In the past, everybody's brought more to him for healing. These people are like, get away from us. And now my question is, who's in their right mind now? Mark tells us that the man who had been possessed clearly is. But it seems that the ones who have lost their mind are the people who come to see what happened. There's lots of speculation about why the people react so negatively, including their concern about the economic loss of all these pigs. But Mark tells us that they are afraid it's not why they're afraid. Are they afraid of the power that Jesus must have? Are they afraid of the man who was once possessed but is now in his right mind and has now become part of their community again? They can't chain him up in the cemetery anymore. Are they afraid of this glimpse of a new world, a new order that Jesus has just offered them? The more I thought about the reaction that Mark describes the people having, the more puzzled I became. Skepticism, I could understand. Anger because of the pigs, I could understand. But fear? Is fear the reaction of someone in his right mind? Have the tables somehow turned and the crowd is now the one not in their right minds? I don't have an answer. It's one of the questions I guess I'll have to ask when I see face to face.
Jesus prepares to leave, he, he accepts the, the request of the people and, and is going from them. And the man who is now in his right mind rushes up to him said, let, saying, please, let me come with you. Let me become one of your disciples. This is the first time in the entire Gospel of Mark that someone asked to follow Jesus. All of the disciples were called by Jesus. They didn't come up to him. He came to them. None of the others healed to this point have asked to come. In fact, Jesus has told them to be silent and to go and show the priests the, the evidence of their healing, but not to come with him. But I bet you can understand why this man wants to come. I mean, would you want to go back with a bunch of people who kept you chained up on, among the graves? Wouldn't you want to go with the man who had made you whole? But Jesus says no. And instead he gives him a mission. Go home and tell others what the Lord has done for you. This is also the first time in the Gospel of Mark that Jesus has told someone to proclaim what happened. Usually he says to those who are healed to be quiet, to say nothing. But unlike Jewish lands, there is no priest to go and show his healing to and thus be restored to the community. Instead, the testimony itself will have to come from the one who was healed. And he follows instructions. Jesus will return to this side of the lake again. And when he does, Mark says that crowds of 4,000 will meet him. What an evangelist this guy is. He reminds me of the woman at the well in John's Gospel. You remember that he meets this woman in the territory of, the, of Samaria, that she is a Samaritan. And they begin to talk, which is unusual in and of itself, and Jesus offers her the living water of the Gospel, revealing to her that he is the Messiah. And she responds by running off and going back to town and telling everyone she meets to come and see this man who had told her everything she'd ever done. And they do, they come. But unlike the people in this story, in Mark's gospel, they don't respond with fear and ask him to leave. In fact, they press him to stay. And when the time comes for him to leave, they tell the woman at the well that they initially came out because of what she had said, but now they had heard from themselves and they believed that Jesus is the savior of the world. So now this man, this man who has been healed, is telling everyone about what Jesus did for him. And when Jesus returns, they will come to hear for themselves. And many will believe. You know, the temptation when you've been to the mountaintop is to want to stay there. We'll see that in a few weeks when the three disciples literally go up the mountain with Jesus. But we always have to come down. And we always return with a mission. We are to share God's love with others. As we sang in the hymn, we are to seek justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. John Wesley gave Methodists three general rules that echo these instructions, which is do no harm, do all the good that you can, and stay in love with God by practicing the means of grace. We talked about those last week, you'll remember. And when we do these things, <coughs> we make disciples. 
people like this man who will want to follow Jesus. So let me finish the story about the woman who interrupted the service at St. Stephen's. Clearly, she was not in her right mind. But thankfully, the people gathered there that day were. She came to see if Jesus could help her, so the congregation became Jesus' hands and feet, embodying his loving grace. No, no one had the gift to cast her demons out. But they came up and shielded her, preserving her dignity. They called 911, and help came, taking her to the hospital. And they prayed for her. All the general rules are here. They did no harm, shielding her tortured body and protecting her dignity. They did all the good that they could, reaching out to professionals who could help her. And they practiced the means of grace, praying for her. This is what it looks like to be in your right mind when you are a follower of Jesus. Now, there may be times when the world will doubt it, when we are called crazy. But when we do, as the old spiritual says, when we wake up in the morning with our minds stayed on Jesus, then I promise you we are in our right minds. In fact, with uh, the cooperation of, of Monica and Kathy, we're going to sing the spiritual, Our Minds Are Stayed on Jesus. It's 2082 in the faith we sing. The words are up here. You guys get to do the chorus. We're going to do the first verse, and you'll get it from there. There are five verses. Stay seated. Say it on Jesus. Say it on Jesus. 
how do you stay in your right mind? Keep it stayed on Jesus. Amen.